In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. We need to go in to the Capitol. watching no way jose you can find me on the no way jose youtube channel all the major auto pocketers odyssey and rumble as well really pushing that rumble that uh edit was made by my buddy tim tuttle i've had him on the show before but only on rumble so another reason for you to go over to rumble we did a little mini combine series i think it was only two maybe three episodes i can't recall uh and next week i actually have him coming back on to cover another topic that i don't even feel comfortable saying what it is because this will go out on youtube but uh if you're uh, familiar with the parapolitics world it's the big no-no, the big one you don't touch, the big dog himself, uh, the, the probably the most well-known person who hangs out in these circles, got in a lot of trouble for it. So I don't even know how I'm going to uh, promote it on my Patreon for my patrons. So I don't know, be flexible with me on that, my patrons. Uh, I guess that's a good caveat, to, or not caveat, but a good segue to, to mention my patrons. So patreon.com, NoeJose2020. That's where you can get this stuff early. Usually it's roughly about a week early. It depends on the schedule, give or take. Uh, but about a week, give or, like I said. Um, it's two bucks at the lowest, uh, or you can be a sponsor at the highest levels. My sponsors, I read them off every episode. That's Toad, uh, is one of them, Toad of Tower Gang. He's one of my co-hosts. You can follow him at Tower Gang Toad. Then at Abrogate D's on Twitter. Uh, also Kevin B. Clark, who's a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. Uh, so if you're looking someone for someone for like a, you know, guitarist for a gig, or you want to learn music and you're in the New York area, he's your guy. Then at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K on Twitter. Then at underscore infinite zeal. It's patreon.com. It's Jose 2020 uh, Yeah, I, today I have returning uh, to the show Ken Silva, uh, reporter or journalist over, I guess journalist, reporter, whatever, same difference, uh, over at, uh, God, Headline News. I almost said Epoch. Uh, Headline News, he, you know, constantly is over at Libertarian Institute as well. He put out a four-part series on the fed files uh and you know it's kind of you know uh, serendipitous i guess because i was actually kind of thinking about doing a solo episode something similar so it takes a little bit off my shoulders i still may in the future 
Uh, I'm damn near the end of Aberration, the Heartland of Real. And as I've been going through, I'm like, oh, here's another solo episode. Here's another solo episode I can do. Uh, so that was one of them, which is kind of like a, a d- different examples of Fed uh, involvement uh, that I was going to use. Not all of them in the book, uh, but you know, probably three or four examples and a couple other ones. Just kind of to demonstrate um, you know, kind of how it, they, they manipulate reality in a certain sense. And we're doing that today with Ken, but this one's a little bit more focused on a period of time, so I like it. I've had Ken on before, and we, I mean, obviously you guys know I've covered a lot of OKC stuff on this series, if you've been following, on the show, if you've followed me for a while. I've covered that era, and then I had Ken on before. We covered, uh, uh, uh Robert Call? Call. I know it's Call. I don't know why I'm blank on the first thing. I think it's Robert. I might be wrong. He'll correct me in a second if I'm wrong. Uh, Gordon Call. Gordon Call. That's it. Gordon, Robert, whatever. Uh, so... You know, so we've covered that era was a little bit before OKC, and so it's kind of like this line that's woven in. And obviously, you know, I, I think I even have had Ken on to cover the Michigan stuff and some of the more modern day stuff. But now we're kind of covering that in between period. I really, and this is stuff that's I feel like been kind of overlooked this period of time. So this will be interesting. But with that, uh, let's go ahead and get Ken in here and get it to it. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, good to be back, and thanks for having me on. Uh, before you have your channel nuked and you get sued <laughs> for a billion dollars, presumably, if that's what you're, if that's the topic you're referring to. Oh, oh, it is. It'll be only going on Rumble, so we'll, we'll see. All right. uh, so, I mean, I'll go Rumble, and it'll go on the audio podcatchers for the, uh, those audio listeners out there. So, because I've never had an issue with audio podcatchers, really. Uh, I mean, I'm sure maybe they limit the reach. So, I mean, but if anything, I've noticed some of the more hot button issues. I've actually done better numbers in general so I, I don't know do that what you will it's really seems to be youtube is the big the big bad culprit that really screws you over there uh i don't know what it is about the audio stuff i don't know if it's just harder for them to to uh, monitor that i don't know so i don't know we'll see but yeah we're covering that so but it's funny because i i don't know exactly what tim's take is on that one i mean i'm not gonna i'm gonna being as vague as i can here but I feel like me and I know my take uh, from the little bit I've looked into. I went on a sort of deep dive probably over a year ago on this topic. And I kind of came away just thinking there were some funky stuff. Like I didn't take away the take that a lot of people kind of uh, straw man people thinking to have. That was all fake and none of it happened. I'm like, no, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, <laughs> once you realize the extent these these groups go to. But I don't know. It just didn't seem that feasible to me. And just looking at the story, I just was kind of like. Uh, I think there might be something going on with the uh, main main uh, supposed suspect. That's the biggest thing I took away from that. Mm-hmm. A lot of weirdness there. But aside from that, yeah. But let, I'm not trying to derail that into that because I'm trying not to talk about that. Uh, we're talking about your Fed files today, which, like I said, they kind of cover a period of time that I feel like it's been a little, a little bit overlooked and kind of completes the line of Fed fuckery that, I, that I've already kind of covered a lot on this channel and uh, surprisingly, as I was reading through these, I was kind of like, it does, it really is like, oh shit, like it, everything flows into each other. So I don't know if you want to kind of like intro the, the kind of give it just a quick a summary of, well, not a summary, but a quick like, you know, I don't know, like synopsis of kind of what this is. I guess I kind of already did, but I don't know if you have any other little points you want to tack on before we really start diving into it. Yeah, I would say that uh, the documents that I've reported on recently describe kind of your your listeners are probably familiar with PatCon, which was this undercover FBI operation that set up a fake uh, Nazi front group in the early 90s, coincided with the Oklahoma City bombing. This is a very similar thing, except it's the early 2000s, mid 2000s. After 9-11, a lot of people stopped paying attention to the Nazi movement as much, but uh, they kept the activities going. And I'd say the, the significance for this 
is that all we'll get there, but it all builds up to the 2017 Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, which is ostensibly Joe Biden's whole rationale for uh, running for president. And uh, it turns out that a lot of those Nazis that Joe Biden decried and uh, Trump said there were both good people on both sides. It was like the biggest controversy ever until January 6th. Well, just like January 6th and PatCon, there were a bunch of Nazi feds in the Charlottesville crowd. Uh, but it's a, it's a long story to get there. So uh, I guess, well, I'll get right into it. We'll start from the beginning. Uh, about a, a month or two ago, they had a Nazi rally down in Florida. Uh, it was all over Twitter. I'm sure you saw it. Oh, and then there was this one guy. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, I think maybe we have a delay. I was just joking. I said I was there, but, <laughs> but oh, sure. was. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm kidding. To be clear, I was not there. But go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, I think people most remember this guy with all these tattoos on his face. And it kind of made headlines because these people endorsed Joe Biden for president because they said, well, at least he's arming Ukraine. So uh, we want to support our brothers in the Azov Battalion. And uh, this one guy, his nickname's Boneface. He has tattoos all over his face. He claims to have been over uh, to Ukraine and have fought with Azov, which is uh, a total lie. I looked into him, and it turns out that he's just some, like, meth-dealing guy. Uh, he, he did snitch to the feds, too. Uh, but anyways, as I'm going down the rabbit hole on these current-day Nazis, I, I find that there was a guy from prison did a Freedom of Information request on this Boneface guy, I'm like, who's who's filing a FOIA from prison? And I, I look up the filer, and he's this inmate who used to be in the Nazi movement, and he's been filing lawsuits, claiming abuse. Uh, he tried to get a compassionate release. Uh, but the filings are fascinating. Basically, he describes an FBI entrapment operation that ran in the 2000s. And, uh, you know, you have to take a lot of what he says with a grain of salt, because of course he's a convicted felon, a former Nazi. He might just be mad at his friends. He starts accusing people of being informants. Uh, but the thing is that he's been um, including actual FBI memos and other records with his court documents to prove a lot of what he says. And so some of it's unfounded, but he actually has some really shocking claims that he's produced evidence for. All right. Yeah. And you, I don't know if you mentioned the name already. It was Bill White. And uh, I, I guess uh, you gave a little bit of background on him. I don't know if you feel like there's anything more pertinent before we really start digging into uh, the beginnings of this story and kind of, you know, like I said in the uh, like earlier when the, when I was kind of thinking of my solo episode, I was kind of wanting to show how they manipulate perception. And, you know, as this gets into it, I, you know, I guess a little bit of spoiler here, getting ahead of myself. But you know, this kind of gets into the informants within these groups and kind of what role that plays on public perception and also these groups going forward. Uh, you know, do we really have a white supremacist problem? Uh, is it concocted? Uh, I mean, well, I, I guess we'll get into that. Um, I, I guess, like I said, it was Bill White. He, we, he, I guess we can kind of get a little bit into his background. I don't think he went too much into that kind of what he got in trouble. It's kind of hard to say where we go because a lot of this weaves into it each other, you know, like so... I guess it'd probably be good to give a little bit of background and kind of like his criminal, a little bit of his criminal history, if you can do that, and then kind of get into the revelations that came out from him. Yeah, so Bill White's a really interesting guy, and I'm not quite to make sure 
not quite sure what to make of his entire story, uh, but he actually, he's got shade. You read Aberration in the Heartland of the Real, which kind of suggests that the intelligence agencies had been keeping tabs on McVeigh since he was like a teenager and he hacked into the Defense Department's computers. And I think he was on their radar from that point on. Well, there's a similar story with Bill White. Uh, he was like a, a right, uh, kind of a right wing edge edge lord, I guess, in the late 90s. And after Columbine happened, he uh, orchestrated a hoax where he claimed that he was involved. And there was some big, big news outlets like CNN actually ran with the hoax. And Bill White claims that he thinks the FBI started uh, targeting him at that early point. Now, he joins the Nazi movement and he really did some glowing things. Like I have questions about whether he was an informant at one point. Uh, he also worked for Pravda, the Russia publication, and he has some connections to the Russian government, very bizarre. And he claims in his filings that his role in the Nazi movement was to disrupt the FBI's uh, intelligence operations. He was trying to out the feds and confuse confuse the FBI. Again, take that with a take that with a grain of salt. Uh, what I do know is that in the early 2000s, there was a federal judge who was presiding over a trademark dispute between two Nazis. Uh, one of the Nazis solicited an, an undercover informant to murder the judge. Uh, this Nazi, his name is Matthew Hale. Uh, he gets charged with, you know, solic solicitation of like soliciting a hitman. And while he's on trial, Bill White allegedly doxes the jury foreman, who I believe was a gay black guy. Uh, Bill White puts his address and other such information on a Nazi website. And the government charged him with threatening the juror even though he didn't tell people explicitly go and kill this guy, the government's argument was that just by putting the information on a Nazi site is an inherently a threat because of who the audience is. So already we're blurring the lines of what First Amendment protected activity is. Uh, he's, he's charged, he's convicted of threatening the jury foreman He's sent to prison. While he's in prison, he claims to have been tortured by being put in solitary confinement in a cold room for like a month. Uh, there isn't actual proof of this, but there is proof that he'll be tortured later in 2014. So I'm going to accept his word on this one because he has proven with records that he was tortured in prison at one point. So anyway, he's tortured around 2009. And then, amazingly, a judge overturns his conviction, and he's let out of prison after being tortured. This is around 2010 or 2011. But then after his conviction's overturned, the DOJ appealed it to a higher appeals court, which reinstated the conviction. And not only that, they said, actually, we miscalculated your sentence. You get like another couple years tacked on. At this point, Bill White absconds to Mexico. He also claims that there were some sketchy FBI informants who were trying to kill him. Uh, it's just another whole rabbit hole. I think there actually might be credibility to that. Um, anyways, he, he runs away to Mexico for a couple months. Uh, understandably so, I would argue. He's already been tortured. He had his conviction overturned. He ain't going back, except he does get caught in Mexico. 
extradited back to the U.S. They tack on numerous other charges. Now he's in prison till nearly 2040. Uh, he's been tortured absolutely 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he's continued to file these amazing records with his, uh, his various lawsuits, which is an interesting tactic because the, the, he's in one of these CMUs, the Communications Management Unit, where the prison controls what you can, who you can talk to. They read your mail, uh, can redact certain things. You're only allowed to talk to your lawyer and your family. Uh, the same facilities that a lot of the Whitmer guys, Barry Croft and Adam Fox, are in. But he's been making these disclosures sneakily through his court filings, and we can get into that in a little bit. But that's that's his backstory in a in a complicated nutshell. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, we've kind of given his past. He's shown uh, I, if people want to kind of get more of his credibility, uh, I, I'd say go check out your your uh, articles so you can kind of see where these are held up. Because I mean, in a podcast, we I mean one we don't have always have the sources on hand, and you're trying to have a quick conversation and. You don't want to source everything, so to just you know, you can take it for the granted for the purpose of the conversation that it is somewhat. But you know, if you do want verification, go check that out. But uh, because it is important, because this is kind of like what you know the, the the starting point to set. in I mean, right now with all the things going on in the world, this for public is coming a week later. I don't know what the situation is right now, but with all the crazy war propaganda, credibility is more important than ever. Uh, and I think it's important here too uh, if we're trying to build a case off of this. Uh, and, and most of these things, he, you know, these, he does have stuff to back up a lot of it and stuff he does, some he doesn't, but, uh, one of the big revelations being is one of these huge Nazi movements, the biggest Nazi movement, I think, uh, at least at the time, I'm not sure if it is now, uh, is, you know, was co-founded by fed, uh, and it, or, you know, fed, fed informant, whatever you call it. I just kind of, you know, colloquially call them all feds, like whatever, uh, difference without a distinction. Uh, or distinction without difference, whatever the hell's the right one, uh, and um, and the, and it looks like the founder there might be some as well. So let's let's get into that. What is there to back up his claims there, and what specifically are his claims? I guess. Yeah. So the the group he was part of in the mid two thousands was called the National Socialist Movement, which again would end up participating in Charlottesville in two thousand seventeen. Uh, but after he's put in prison, he comes to suspect that a lot of his buddies were federal informants, so he starts. You know, requesting records, uh, most the, the FBI will hardly give you anything, but they will give you like decades old records. Uh, but from those records, he was able to piece together that the group, like you mentioned, that he was part of was co-founded by an FBI informant. Uh, the guy's name was uh, Robert Brannon, and he was one of the original American Nazis. Uh, after World War II, some of the German Nazis talked to some of the Americans, particularly there was a guy named George Lincoln Rockwell. He's the founder of the American Nazi Party. Uh, Robert Brannon was his direct, like, number two guy, his top guy. And he, after Rockwell was, like, murdered in the 60s, uh, Robert Brannon co-founds the National Socialist Movement with another guy called Cliff Harrington, who's still around this day, uh, to this day, who's oddly enough is like married to a, an avowed Satanist, which is again, uh, so many rabbit holes on this case. Um, in any event, Bill White finds a memo uh, from 1974 or somewhere around there where the FBI is saying uh, our, our Fed inside the National Socialist Movement might have been compromised. All his buddies 
are accusing him of being uh, an FBI informant. Uh, but his group issued a response and like there's this back and forth and all these Nazi underground publications. Uh, so the Nazi inmate, Bill White, he takes that one FBI memo and he, he finds the Nazi publication from the 70s that the memo is referring to. And sure enough, it's Robert Brannon uh, responding to these attacks. Uh, so, you know, put two and two together. If there's an FBI memo saying, hey, our, our guy might be compromised, uh, he's defending himself in his own newspaper. Then you read the newspaper and it's Robert Brannon. That's logically, it says that Robert Brannon is an FBI informant. Uh, so I, I believe that's probably the biggest uh, finding that I've able to confirm among all his crazy allegations. But it seems to be me to be very significant that the FBI basically created one of the oldest and largest Nazi movements in, in American history. Yeah, not shocked at all, but it it is it is a big you know if you're able to confirm it that that's huge and like I said uh, I, I feel like I mean maybe I'm just speaking from my for myself because maybe I wasn't as aware at this time but I just feel like generally speaking people aren't as aware of the Fed influence during this period of time uh, and you know that's why it's great we kind of gain this confirmation here and how all this flows together and so I guess uh, I mean maybe the, you can correct me if you think there's a better way to go with this but I feel like maybe now the move would be how these groups uh, kind of morphed into other groups and then I guess maybe the breadcrumb of feds along the way uh, and then it may, it, I'll, I'll pass it off to you. Okay, sure. Well, let me go back to okay. uh, the National Socialist Movement. So it was founded by a Fed. Eventually, he dies in the 80s, and it, it gets transferred to a guy named Jeff Scoop in 1994, which oddly is, is around the PatCon era. And I actually found an old uh, flyer for a Nazi conference where this Jeff Scoop guy was speaking on the same itinerary as a confirmed PatCon informant named Vince Reed. So like the, these things all tie together. It's pretty interesting. Uh, in any event, uh, the inmate Bill White also accuses Jeff Scoop of being an FBI informant, which is very significant because Jeff Scoop ran the National Socialist Movement from 1994 all the way up to 2017 when he took the group to Charlottesville. He committed violence. He punched a protester. Uh, he basically destroyed the group by you know, having it commit violence. And then after Charlottesville, the National Socialist Movement, and he, he gets sued by some of the, um, the counter protesters, like the Antifa people that got injured and whatnot. And all of a sudden he disavows his neo-Nazi past. And now he's this reformed guy who's helping de-radicalize other Nazis and speaking out against it. And he's working with DH-funded groups and he's even working with the FBI. So this guy that's running an FBI front group claims to be an avowed Nazi. All of a sudden, he destroys the group by having it participate in this disastrous event. And, that, and now he's literally working with the FBI. And he and Bill White accused him of being a Fed because he, he found a record where Jeff Scoop talks to the FBI at one point about that Matthew Hale case, about the threats against the federal judge. Um, so that leads me to believe that this group was an FBI front group from start to finish. I mean, it's still an organization, but it's basically in tatters now in the wake of Charlottesville. 
Uh, so I, that sorry, that doesn't exactly answer your specific question, but hopefully that'll you know help us get, get to where we're going. No, yeah, that, no, that makes sense, and that's a good good thing to go into before we move on. Uh, I maybe I believe it was shoot maybe uh, maybe or shoot scoop, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I I'm seeing a kind of a tie here. When I was reading, I believe. Uh, he had some legal charges. I don't know if he outright right implied it, or maybe I just inferred that from the writing. But I know I caught that, and I just felt like whether he said that or I inferred it, it's almost this implication that like, oh well, maybe he couldn't be an informant because he got in legal trouble. And obviously, in this intro, uh, you know, you saw Ray Epps right at the beginning, and then also you've covered Ray Epps, you know, extensively. I believe you wrote a piece on this as well of how he caught a misdemeanor charge. Uh, do you see any sort of correlation there and those, the, the same idea of, because uh, people have this idea, I think they, they, they have these assumptions when it comes to informants of how they will be treated or they will always get off or, or whatever. Uh, did, did you, do you feel like, do you see any correlation there? Or am I just reading too much into it? Because I, 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 that was a little piece I picked up on as I was reading. Or maybe well, yeah, he, to he told me that the FBI raided his house a couple of times. And to me, that's, even more confirmation that he's a fed. He was never charged. And that's like a tactic that the law enforcement will do to give you legitimacy. So to me, that's that if anything, that makes it more suspicious that he was raided, but never charged. I, yeah, I, I think he's definitely a fed. Yeah. Okay. It's the same thing with Ray Epps. Like he got a, he got a misdemeanor, which is like really a, mis a misdemeanor. Like, okay, yeah, this is that totally shows he's not a fed. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. And real quick about Ray Epps, I, my most recent story was the fact that in his plea deal, uh, they didn't disclose that he has an open arrest warrant in Pennsylvania for criminal trespassing, which I broke that story. And I just wanted to mention that because uh, the person who discovered his arrest warrant was the late, great Roger Charles, who was Richard Booth's mentor. Uh, one of like he worked on McVeigh's defense team. Like what we worked with JD Cash, one of the, like the the founding fathers of the Oklahoma City Truther movement. Uh, discovered Ray Epps' uh, arrest warrant, so I just wanted to give Roger a shout out and uh, rest in peace. He's a great man. Oh hell yeah! Uh, so our, I guess maybe now, uh, once again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think now would be the appropriate time to start getting into how these groups morphed from one to the other and the kind of breadcrumb of feds along the way. Because as it, it moves from one to the other, you're like, okay, well, this guy's a fed. This one moves to that. Uh, I think you kind of smell or smell what I'm stepping in. Uh, I'll give the floor to you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's, let's put that in the context of Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mentioned before that this FBI informant created the National Socialist Movement. It participated in Charlottesville, but... There was maybe about 20 guys in the NSM. It doesn't look like they actually orchestrated the thing. So maybe you could take it as a grain of salt with a grain of salt and say, okay, yeah, there was a Fed group at Charlottesville, but is that really why it spiraled into this big disaster? Uh, but it turns out that so this National Socialist Movement had actually created a network of national Nazi groups. Uh, that included the Confederate Hammerskins, which I think is a great name, by the way, uh, a group called Vanguard America and the League of South, the League of the South. And they all formed a group called the Nationalist Front. It was like an umbrella group for all these subgroups. And I was looking through Bill White's files and he's basically he hasn't proven it, 
but he's given strong evidence that Confederate hammerskins, Vanguard America, or not Vanguard, but the League of the South were also FBI front groups. And he says this because there was a, an FBI informant named David Gletty who actually wrote this shitty little book called Undercover Nazi. And it's a really random book. You can't even find it on uh, Amazon. But in that book, he talks about infiltrating these groups. So put that all together. And now we have something. Now I think we really have to question Charlottesville, uh, specifically Vanguard America, which is a group that was created after Bill White had already been in prison for many years. So Bill White doesn't have much to say about Vanguard America. But we do know that it was part of this national nationalist front with at least three other FBI groups. And Vanguard America is the group from which that the guy who drove his car into the crowd and killed one of the protesters, you know, making the event infamous. He was part or he marched with Vanguard America. And I believe he was affiliated with the group. Uh, Vanguard tried to disavow him, but, you know, he was wearing the, the uniform and marching and whatnot. And uh, to top it off, that Vanguard America after Charlottesville, they rebranded to a group that might sound familiar, and that's the Patriot Front, which, of course, if you're on Twitter, anytime there's, you know, th there's those guys with the uh, blue polos and khakis, you know, Mar like they have all the hallmarks of a Fed group. So even though we don't know for sure that's a Fed group, I mean, it, it definitely smells like it. Yeah, um, we'll we'll back up to Charlottesville in a minute because I do think that this is obviously I think like the centerpiece of this discussion that it kind of culminates to. But I, I do think Patriot Front. I, I was reading there there have been some developments in some individuals within these groups that seem to be feds. Because I did one of the things is yeah the the Patriot Front thing's been a joke for a while, but I haven't seen a whole lot of reporting myself, and it's not like I was like dig looking for it. So I mean, this is just me saying it anecdotally. <laughs> But you'd think this would be plastered everywhere if you saw examples of it. But I, I guess from your reporting, I'm seeing there were some examples of uh, whether they're out-and-out out informants or people that were implied to be uh, within the group. Uh, may, maybe, I, you know, I'm maybe I'm recalling incorrectly. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, So if, if you want to go into that a little bit, if you can, because... Uh, that's I think in today's context that's kind of important because it's like a joke but then it always is this like retort from you know people who are living in la la land of like well uh, what are you talking about uh, there's like there's what evidence you get there's nothing you're like yeah I, I guess you're right I'm just telling you from pattern recognition this is they look like fucking feds yeah, <laughs> like, sure. and like I think you're silly for not seeing that they look like feds and it's like that's not the greatest argument because it's like I mean, unless you're going to take this guy and sit him down and have a four-hour discussion where you tell him about all the different Fed stuff in the world, uh, there, there, you're not, you can't. There's not like a succinct like this that you can point to. Um, so, but now it's looking like maybe there is a little bit. Uh, if you want to go into that, that'd be great. Yeah, I think people get a little bit sloppy just declaring all these people Feds. I mean, there was a big bust last year. I think two, two dozen of them were arrested. They were supposedly going to riot at some Pride event. So we know most of their names. I mean, we can even find their addresses and everything. Like if they're, they're not undercover agents, I can tell you that. I'm sure there's informants. Uh, my working theory based off of studying these cases for almost two years now is that Patriot Front is kind of a harmless feeder group 
where the intelligence agencies are monitoring the Patriot Front to see who are the more extreme members. And then they'll encourage those extreme members to join actual terrorist groups like the base or Adam Waffen or, you know, these actual groups that will go shoot at uh, power stations and commit, you know, try to derail trains and things like that. So, um, but what evidence do we have that the Patriot Front is some kind of feeder fed group? Uh, I, there's a recently a case involving a guy named Michael E. Jones, who was arrested on felony gun charges about a year ago. And he was a member of the base, which, uh, you know, Al Qaeda is um, Arabic for the base. So it's like an uh, American, you know, the, the, the good old boys version of Al Qaeda. Uh, he was also a member of Patriot Front and the Proud Boys. And in his um, sentencing memorandum where he's saying, hey, don't put me in jail. I've been a good boy. I'm reformed. He disclosed that he was an FBI informant who helped infiltrate the Proud Boys. Um, he didn't say that he was an FBI informant while he was in Patriot Front, but I'm just going to uh, assume that he was because there's a lot of overlap of timelines when he was in various groups. And uh, so I think that's the only smoking gun fed in the Patriot Front that I'm aware of. Uh, there's others. There's been a lot of weird developments in this Idaho case where they were, arrested, they were arrested last year. A couple of them got off with slaps on the wrists. One of them had the charges dropped against them. You know, those guys, you know, that's very tenuous evidence. They might be feds. I'm not making any accusations. Uh, but I think that's what we know at this point as far as this group, besides all, but the tactics and modus operandi definitely scream fed group, like you said. Absolutely. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, we'll, let's back it up back to Charlottesville again. Uh, I think there's something interesting to be said about the tactics of law enforcement and how they apply to the two different situations between Charlottesville and January 6th. Uh, and then obviously they're, you know, pretty fairly close in proximity and time to each other. So, it, you know, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people make the same, uh, you know, correlation between uh, the Michigan stuff, the uh, the riots, the, the Wolverine, not the riots, but the Wolverine Watchmen and the protests and uh, how they kind of got cordoned off to a certain area, uh, you know, kind of creating a predictable uh, circumstance, which happened January 6th. And it seems that, you know, I guess a lot of people may have already kind of forgot a lot of stuff of Charlottesville and, you know, exactly what happened there. Uh, I, I, you know, from my recollection, it was a similar thing. Uh, so, I, you know, I'll, I'll let you get into that. Well, this is a very interesting aspect of Bill White's filings, so he filed a lawsuit alleging that the FBI uh, creates phony white supremacist groups like we've been talking about and then holds these racial protesters and then brings in other FBI-created Antifa groups. In the mid-2000s, I think the group was the Anti-Racist Action, ARA, which ironically, Aryan Republican Army, they're both ARA, but that's, that's an aside. But basically, he claimed that the FBI will bring these Antifa type groups, the white supremacist groups together at the same protest, watch it blow up like a powder keg. And the agents, the, you know, they collect overtime checks, they make bid cases, they get to continue to work on, you know, to domestic counterterrorism and all these, all these fancy things. Uh, so that's what Bill White claimed without providing ed any evidence. But he describes a rally in Toledo in 2005 
which seems like a microcosm of Charlottesville, where he describes, you know, um, the law enforcement puts them in a certain parking lot and they have to get out of the city by going through the counter protesters. There was all kinds of violence that broke out. It, it was a big shit show. All the local news really paid attention to it at the time. Uh, nobody died, so it wasn't a national thing. It was during the 9-11 era, so it didn't get a whole lot of attention like Charlottesville, but it seemed like the same playbook. And now here's the thing that really made my jaw drop is Bill White filed the lawsuit that describes all of the things that I just mentioned in July 2017, which was like three weeks before Charlottesville. So I just thought the the timing was was very funny. It almost was like Bill White, you know, was making a prediction from prison. Of course, there's no way he he'd know. Uh, he just knows from experience. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, I guess what we'll stay on Charlottesville, you kind of made some connections among the higher ups in the, uh, feds and maybe other law enforcement individuals. Uh, you know, if you want to go into that, I think now would be a good time. And then I think I, I kind of want to go into a little bit more, uh, after that of, uh, what, what was going on with Bill White? Cause I find that particularly interesting and that ties into, uh, with the truck bomb stuff to, you know, let you know, uh, oh, yeah. that ties into a lot of other stuff we've talked about before. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, the the you know kind of the higher ups, uh, kind of a, a a top view of what was going on in a lot of the Charlottesville stuff and how that connects into other events, uh, pertinent events. Uh, sorry, what specifically are you're referring to there? Uh, I feel like in part four, I vaguely remember that you made some connections between some of the higher ups that then got moved to covering other uh, similar situations. Uh, uh, maybe I'm. Uh, I just read through these before, so maybe I'm misremembering something. But uh, I just uh, fuck now. I'm, uh, damn it! I probably should have wrote the note for that one. Uh, but we can we can move back if I'm not if I'm not uh, picking up. Uh, if you're not picking up what I'm setting down, maybe I'm remembering something wrong. But I just felt like I remembered you were making connections between some of the higher up feds and how they're connected to other events. Uh, just and and these wouldn't be. Uh, I'm not saying these were like solid things. The same type of stuff that like. You saw with like Dion Tuano or whatever, I believe, like with his connection between uh, January 6th and the Michigan stuff. It was okay. a similar type thing to that. So I just thought that was interesting, worth noting. Uh, okay, so it looks like you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Now. So that my colleague and editor, Ben Sellers, helped write the fourth and final piece because he's from Virginia and he knows Charlottesville pretty intimately. And I believe that his contribution to the story was that the governor of Virginia was friends with one of the top FBI officials. His name, skipping my name. This is, he was a key Russiagate guy. Uh, fuck, I can't remember his name. But that's the connection. Is the governor of Virginia was friends with like the second in charge of the FBI. Uh, you know, it really Andrew smacks. McCabe. Yeah, McCabe, McCabe. Yeah. There you go, Andy McCabe. <laughs> It smacks like an uh, operation to try to uh, uh, discredit Trump. And uh, what the F the state did, it was like the Thursday before the violence. So the violence happened on that Sunday, August 12th, I believe it was. And the Thursday before, the governor had already declared a state of emergency, which essentially uh, means the state controls the local police agencies. So when we talk about the... The, the key aspect of Charlottesville was how the police kind of uh, directed the right-wingers and the left-wingers together, and it exploded in violence. 
That was not a local uh, decision. That was made by the governor or somebody high up in the state police. And that, to me, smells even more suspicious, like the FBI had a hand, especially as my editor Ben pointed out that the governor was friends with Andrew McCabe, who was a, a staunch anti-Trumper. All right. Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly what I was getting at. That, so uh, I just feel like those connections are important to point out. Obviously, that's not like resolute of anything, but it, you know, if, if a lot of this stuff is pattern recognition, so do with that what you will. I think it is important to notice these patterns. I do think, you know, once they start to add up it, it, uh, you can kind of, you know, make some reasonable, uh, maybe not, I guess, assumptions or guesses at things that are going on. And I think our audience, my audience here can kind of figure that one out on their own. Yeah. Uh, let's get into Bill White and, uh, you know, kind of one of the things that got him in hot water with the whole truck bomb thing. I found that to be a, a particularly interesting, uh, thing with him. Cause that, that screams like a setup for him. And I think this really does point out i mean yeah as you said before he could be making up his own shit it seems like maybe he was an informant maybe he wasn't obviously he's an upset individual but uh i think this is one of the things that points out the flaws uh in informants uh you know kind of that they have uh differing they have uh, a different set of incentives uh, then the feds, sometimes they line up, sometimes they don't, that can cause issues. So then you're in this situation of having to determine, oh, was, did this thing go sideways because of the informants or the feds? It kind of gives us this distance of like, you know, if, even if it was there, they did it on purpose. They were like, oh, well, the feds, the informants went rogue or whatever. So uh, I, th I think you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> Let's yeah. get into it. Well, I'm glad you like that story. I appreciate it because that's kind of le less tied it. So it's a four part series. Part one is about the inmate, his credibility, how he's tortured. Part two is about how the national socialist movement was created by a fed. And then part four is Charlottesville. And all three of those are pretty tied together. Part three, I just threw in there for the OKC heads out there. Uh, Cause it's pretty interesting. And it's about, as you mentioned, um, so he was arrested it for the allegedly threatening the jury foreman, um, but at, when he was around the time the FBI was investigating him for these threats, one of his buddies or not his buddies, but one of his Nazi colleagues, uh, an FBI informant named Hal Turner, who's uh, relatively infamous. If you follow these cases, he was this radio host in the in the mid 2000s that would go on you know, go on the airwaves and call for the assassination of Barack Obama and all these like outrageous glowing things. And it was revealed, I think in 2013, that he had been an informant the whole time. Uh, anyways, Hal Turner tells the FBI that Bill White was planning to blow up the Virgi Roanoke, Virginia federal building because he knew there was a grand jury there investigating him over the jury threats. And so when they arrested Bill White, uh, I mentioned before that he claims he was tortured in 2008 when he was initially arrested. And he claims that he was tortured because the feds were pressing him on this alleged uh, truck bomb plot. And this, this is a solidly documented story. He filed U.S. Marshals reports where they basically say we got this tip from an informant that Bill White is planning on blowing up a, a federal building. Um, it doesn't say any, obviously they don't document the torture of the inmate, uh, but Bill White specifically 
he lays it out to where he gets, he says he's in solitary confinement, getting tortured in December, 2008. They release him in January, 2009. And I believe he's correct because he provides another record where the FBI closes its investigation in January 2009, right after they got done torturing him. And they say, oh, it turns out this whole uh, this so-called truck bomb plot was total bullshit that uh, the FBI radio host uh, made up. Um, so that that's like an, uh, just a weird little aside at how easy the FBI and the U.S. Marshals and these federal groups follow tenuous leads that, uh, you know, informants just say for their own selfish purposes. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Check it out. Part three, if, if people want to read more into that, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. The key point that I found interesting in that, obviously don't get me wrong. The, 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 the truck bomb, the federal building, obviously that caught my attention, you know, cause those are uh, key, key points and other stuff I'm interested in, but the key point that got me is because another thing that interests me is like how these things operate because like there, there's sometimes intentionality, sometimes there's not. And I did find it interesting that the excuse uh, that was given or, or excuse or the reality was that Turner uh, essentially was kind of trying to rebuild his credibility as an informant. So he cooked this up on his own. So, but it's the problem is when you have, you know, you're a pattern recognizer like me, it's like, well, I don't fucking know. Like, that I could totally buy that this was completely concocted by the feds to build up some other larger narrative, but knowing the incentives of informants, <laughs> the, the perverse incentives that are put in place, it's also very well the case that he could, they, that yes, that could be the truth, that he cooked this up because he wanted to get more money because they give them plenty of that. Uh, he, he wanted that cushy set up with the informant. So that was the key point that caught my interest. Uh, I don't know if you have any comments on that. If you, if, if not, I mean, like, I guess I kind of laid it all out there. I just, I find that very interesting, you know, the, the aspect of using informants. Yeah. I think from the informants point of view that he was definitely just trying to rebuild his credibility, maybe get, get a easy payday from the FBI's point of view. They're almost all too eager to believe any bullshit. That's why they could start these cases and that goes to your point of them, you know, kind of constructing these large conspiracies. Maybe they just get dubious tips from informants and run with them. And that's how these cases build. Yeah. And it's just it, the point I'm getting at, too, is that they get to act like the hapless victims of the informants and be like, oh, just ran away from me. And so it, it could be intentional. And, and But now they, they're able to do that, which a lot of people surmise it did with J6 because it's like the same thing oh look at all these informants but they didn't inform us of this stuff or or whatever i can't remember what the exact narrative was around that with the informant stuff coming out uh but i i kind of want to take time to go into one of your other your, your other recent stories and you've had a lot of actually really good stories recently a lot of, a lot of bombshells but uh particularly the the pipe bomb related one uh but i guess before we do that i don't know if there's any other main points you want to talk about uh, about the Fed files. I think we kind of covered it in an overview. I think people should definitely go check it out to get more details. But if there's anything else you want to go into that, otherwise I'd like to, you know, I guess we can kind of talk about your Fed files, one, or not your Fed files, but your uh, pipe bomb ones and kind of went into that because uh, um, there, there was some, I guess, new information, although I don't know if it was necessarily new. Uh, it just seems to be you were the first one to cover it, to uncover it because I, I, I yeah. haven't seen it anywhere else. And the Fed files actually do directly tie into the pipe bomb. <laughs> Because uh, Bill White was another federal informant he was friends with was this guy named Joshua Caleb Sutter, who is the leader of the U.S. chapter of the Order of the Nine Angles, which is this like sa 
satanic proto-fascist cult that tries to infiltrate other groups and provoke them to violence. Uh, it was started by a CIA asset who was like involved in Operation Gladio back in the days. I mean, the whole thing is so bizarre. But so this Order of the Nine Angles, I run, I run this story on Bill White and I get a, a pretty much an anonymous tip saying there's this uh, this this military contractor who used to work for Joint Special Operations Command who who tweeted out mysteriously about a year ago that she identified uh, the January 6th pipe bomber and then this lady uh, totally vanishes. And I mean, that's pretty much the story in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a mysterious lady out there who's highly uh, credentialed. She holds a security clearance. She helped the Pentagon fight ISIS in the mid, uh, around 2015. I think she worked with Babel Street, like a lot of these tech firms. Uh, she, she was kind of the lady who would go into telegram chats and pretended to be a Habibi or whatever, like a, a fake Muslim woman who would get uh, the Muslim guys to talk about terrorist attacks. Uh, but she's definitely like a sophisticated operator and uh, seems to be a very high, Q, high IQ lady who was researching this order of the nine angles. And I believe that she believes that the order of the nine angles was involved in January 6th. And I can't prove that, but I hope I'm explaining this in a way that people could follow <laughs> uh, before she. So she says, I found the January 6th pipe bomber. Then she disappears, deletes all her online presence a few weeks ago or a few weeks after she claimed to identify the pipe bomber. And she just left a Google document online that outlines her allegations against other researchers who were apparently stealing her, her work. But the, the document also goes extensively into the order of the nine angles. And I think and this might sound crazy, but I think she might've been trying to leave clues. And the reason I say that is because uh, she went on Jack Murphy's podcast, The Team House, which is on the, the video of your introduction. They interviewed Danny Colson about seeing Timothy McVeigh at Elohim City. The, those are the guys. Uh, they interviewed her and she was talking about how the Pentagon hired her because, you know, she's not great with pure numbers, but she's good at solving these bizarre puzzles. And she was able to find some coded messages between ISIS in like generic emails, but in their email signatures, they were putting codes to each other in it. And so, you know, this is the, I hope I'm not, you know, jumping the shark or getting way, way out in left field, but those are the reasons that I believe that she believes the order of the nine angles were involved. And either way, I mean, I think Congress, the weaponization committee should be trying to track this lady down. She was like a legit counterterrorism operator, I want to know what she knows. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just a reminder, I mean, you actually put uh, my interview with uh, Kyle Serafin uh, with the pipe bombs. They tracked, I mean, they they basically had everything they needed to hammer, you know, theoretically, because they tracked the, the card that the individual the, uh, uh, was using or whatever, to, the, I guess like a train, I think, some sort of car. I guess it's this, this, I'm not used to these shithole cities, so I guess you need a fucking card to get on and off the train or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. But some sort of like train card or some shit. So they're able to track that and attract to a person who, you know, 
ended up being a chief master sergeant, you know, which is an E9, the highest enlisted rank you can get, retired, uh, who also is a government contractor now, and just they kind of chalked it up to, oh, well, he doesn't know, uh, and they left it at that. So uh, there's definitely some uh, balls being dropped here, uh, and to the, to the extent that I think anyone with a brain would realize uh, it's intentional. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel safe saying that at some level, somebody intentionally dropped the ball and didn't want to keep pursuing because for, you know, you can surmise why Kyle surmised that the only reason I can think of is that it was either it was some sort of federal informant related or something along those lines. Uh, I mean, I can't think of any other reason why it wouldn't be uh, same thing. You know, people involved my channel with John Doe too. It's kind of like, Oh, well we have, why did this get dropped? I mean, a logical person come to the conclusion, if I have to make a guess, uh, this guy either has knowledge of some sort that's sensitive or is an informant or something along those lines. Uh, I, I just I just want to remind them that. I guess, uh, I guess we're kind of at a good point to kind of maybe bring it to a close. I, you've covered so much lately, so I, I don't know if there's any other topics you want to bring up of other, you know, articles you wrote or anything in particular. Uh, feel free to. Otherwise, we can kind of bring it to an end. But I just know you've covered a lot. It's so much that I'm just, like, forgetting. <laughs> it's like it seems every other day now. I'm like, oh, shit, you cover that. That's dope. Uh, but I don't know if there's any other, art, like, minor points you want to bring up or, or whatever. Uh, but the floor is yours. Uh, but if not, we can do plugs. Uh no, not really. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate the interest. I think the Fed files some of my best work outside of the Oklahoma City stuff. But the Oklahoma City stuff, I was kind of standing on the backs of guys like J.D. Cash, Roger Car Charles, Richard Booth, Wendy Painting. The Fed files is brand new stuff. If anybody is interested in trying to research this, I'm please, I put all the documents out there. There's more stories to be had any competing journalists try to take my stuff, please, I'll, I'll help you. I need, I need help to get to the bottom of this. We got a small little group of researchers. So hit me up at JD underscore cashless. And uh, thanks again, Jose. I, I always, always enjoy talking to you. Oh yeah. I love having you on. Uh, and I, I do want to add a point. I, I do get annoyed when I see people in general, whether it be researchers, journalists, whoever, who get off, like get overly protective of their work. Cause I think it's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, I think if you're the, if you're doing good work, you'll get recognized. And I think you want as many people covering it as possible because it brings more attention to it. it, may find different angles, may find different stuff. All, all it does is in the end is uh, it gets more information out there. And, you know, I mean, if you're doing good work, it will be recognized. So and then honestly, most people, the people who are overly protective, most people develop a reputation of people not liking them. So uh, and I don't think that serves you well. But I, I get how some people are protective of it because you're like, hey, I found this thing. But. At the end of the day, do, like, what, what, what is your goal here? <laughs> like, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is the, uh, like I said at the top, this is No Way Jose Show. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, all the major odd podcasters, Odyssey, uh, Rumble. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Jose. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, I do remind you guys, uh, toplobster.com, if you want to get uh, No Way Jose merch. I also have the Terrence Yeeke Didn't Kill Himself shirt. Can't try to do Didn't Kill Himself. Uh, and there's other stuff there. You can get from Top Lobster. He has some goofy stuff up now. He made a, he mocked up a Hamas glider t-shirt <laughs> and some other shit just because he thought it was funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, not, not that we're advocating that, but you, I mean, come on, everyone out there, you gotta admit there's something pretty wild about them coming in on fucking hang gliders. Uh, awful shit, but come on. That's like James Bond shit, <laughs> but I right, appreciate your time with that. We will get out of here.